MindWell, hosted by Michelle Jones. We are all about connecting with wellness professionals and individuals with unique perspectives about developing wholeness and well-being. This podcast is designed to help you reconnect to your core self and find the resiliency, capability, and strength you already have within. MindWell is sponsored by IntegrateTrauma.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MindWell. On this podcast, we interview people who have remarkable perspectives on the power of making mindful connections. I'm Michelle Jones, and today I am with Christina Hathaway. Welcome, Christina. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to continue our conversation. Um, But before we get started talking about your new book, I want for you to introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to the work that you're doing today. Well, again, thank you for having me. My name is Christina Hathaway. You can also call me CJ Hathaway as my author name. And I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, moved here um, in elementary school. And why that's important is when I used to live in LA, my family owned a restaurant and they would um, take the sandwiches that they'd have left over and hand them out to the homeless. And so from a very young age, I have been open and drawn to helping people. I love that. Yeah. And so that went on. I mean, my mom is, she has two biological children, but basically has seven adopted kids that were friends of friends that she took in when they needed them and or needed her or needed a place to stay. And so, um, you know, it just came easy to me to become a caretaker and wanting to be a person who gives back to the world. And so I went through university, went to Arizona State University, uh, got a bachelor's in psychology. Go Sun Devils. Yes, all day. <laughs> We won this weekend yes. and last weekend. And, um, and so then also went to ASU for my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And so the focus initially was going to be solely on couples, but my internship happened to be in a youth program. And so I found that my immaturity worked really well as a therapist <laughs> with children. And so I started working in uh, youth organizations, first with the Department of Health, and then went into private practice, and then back into Child Advocacy Center here in Phoenix. And so if you're not aware of the Child Advocacy Center, that is where all your high-profile child abuse cases, where those kids come to not only get interviews, they have forensic um, medical assistance there. The Office of Child and Family Welfare is there, as well as Child Help, who I work with directly. And we provide therapy services for those children. And it was the most remarkable work. And I loved every second of it. And this is actually where some of the ideas for my book came from. Because when you're working with kids and teens, you have to be really creative on how you explain things. Because half the time they don't even want to be there. Let's just start there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Secondly, you know, depending on their age, most of the kids that I worked with were teenagers. That was just who I was drawn to. You know, you want to kind of catch them off guard. You want them to leave remembering the concepts because you're there to make change in their brains. And so um, working with child help, and then I also ran an intensive outpatient eating disorder program with youth. I came up with the concepts of my book and then just expanded into other areas of whole health coaching, um, which include my certification as a personal trainer, my certification as a nutrition coach, because I noticed that 
it was either one or the other. It was never both in people's health journeys. And so it all just kind of snowballed into what it is today. Um, But the foundation of my practice and of my career comes from that youth program and working with those kiddos. And here we are. Oh my gosh, there are so many ways I want to take the conversation right now. It's like a choose your own adventure. It really is. Which it's called uh, my life. I know. No, it's amazing. <laughs> and I love how some of the most remarkable people that I've met, and I've just met you, but I have a feeling that this is true for you, that there's so many pieces to the puzzle that come together to bring us to be able to do the work that we sit in today, right? Like all these different kind of almost disconnected pieces come together to really make this whole experience, this this way of seeing people in this really holistic way. In my previous life, I worked as a pediatric nurse. Mm-hmm. And so, and that kind of took me by surprise that that was the work that I wanted to do within nursing. I thought I was going to do something else entirely and also got pulled into that direction. And now that I know more about your background with kids, all of the pieces are coming together because one of my first questions that I had for you was, well, let's just start here. You recently published your first book, Don't Hold Their Poop. Talk about a title that is easy to remember and that you're not going to forget, which I love. Mm -hmm. So I was able to um, read the book last night on Kindle and before our interview, and I thought that the title and imagery were really unique, Mm -hmm. like super unique in this type of realm. And so my question was going to be, what made you decide to use poop (laughs) as a way to teach people how to navigate these like messy, awkward, or difficult situations? And so the pieces are coming together for me already, but I want to give you a chance to answer that. Yeah. And so um, I had a client come in. This was, she was about 16 year old client. And this was at the um, eating disorder uh, program. So if a client comes in and they're triggered, obviously there are some severe consequences to that behavior. So we want to nip that in the bud. So she came in, she was upset that someone had commented about her appearance mm-hmm. earlier that day. We're talking in the morning. I'm not seeing this client until 6 p.m. And so she comes in, she's so upset. She's been thinking about it all day. And honestly, it just popped in my head. And I asked her, I said, I have a question for you. I'm like, would you carry around that girl's poop with you all day? And she stops and looks at me and is like, what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. I go, no, 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 seriously. So would she, like, she like hands it to you. You carry it around all day. You kind of spread it everywhere you touch. Everyone around you realizes something's wrong with you. And then you're reliving it because it stinks. It doesn't feel good. It's really hard to hide the fact that you're carrying around poop. Right, exactly. (laughs) And she goes, no, of course I wouldn't do that, right? And I said, well, why did you bring it into my office? And so we had a conversation about it. We had a conversation about that was that girl's stuff. Whatever was happening for her, with her that morning in her life, whatever it is, she decided to hand it to you by making that comment. You then chose to take it and and live it. You you had it with you all day. You brought it in with me. And so helping her understand that there is a choice there to set a boundary both internally and say, wow, she must be having a really bad day. And or saying, hey, you know, that's not cool. Like, please don't talk to me that way. Or what she ended up doing, which was holding on to it, feeling it, reliving it, rehashing it. And again, bringing it to me. 
And so it became this comment or this this way to like call people out in sessions because I ran groups, I ran family sessions and individuals. And so when the kids said it, it was like, haha, you know, but they used it wisely. They knew what they were talking about. And they say, that's not your poop. Why are you worried about it? You know, it wasn't until one of my dads said it to his daughter in session that I thought, wait a minute, we're on to something here. Because he literally said, that's not my poop. That's yours. I'm not going to take it. I've been holding it for your whole life. (laughs) And this is like a big moment for this family. And so that was years ago. And then finally, I actually don't remember the exact moment when I was like, I'm going to write a book about this. I do remember uh, I had a friend who knew I was writing this book. And he finally told me, he goes, if you don't have this book done in a year, you have to hand it to me. I'm going to publish it for you. That was February, 2020. Wow. And guess what happened? (laughs) COVID. And so I had all the time to complete it. And I, all the pieces, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. fell into place. A gal I worked with, um, there's a piece of my career that I haven't even chatted about, which was my break from everything. But one of the gals I worked with there, again, pieces falling into place. She's a graphic designer. Of course. And she took my everything in here and made it into the graphics that are in the book, which are amazing. Which is its own gift unto itself because there's so many times I'm like, can someone just look in my head and then create a visual of that? Because I know exactly what it looks like. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. So there's a few things that I noticed about that as you were sharing. And one of them is it's so visual. Like all of us can picture, even if we don't want to, it's like you can't help picturing it, even though you're like, I don't want to think about that. (laughs) I don't want to picture that. You can't help it. Like as soon as someone mentions it, you're like, "Mm, I don't want to hold that. And I love that there's, it's like the simplicity of the language that it gives. um, One of the things I've noticed in families that I work with is that sometimes we just don't have language to communicate about something within our family or within our relationships or even just internally. Mm -hmm. And so I love that this is like so straightforward and just allows people in a very concise way to like acknowledge, recognize, and like reset Mm -hmm. in the moment. And that was the idea is having that thing that you can say to yourself, like, it doesn't have to be clinical. It doesn't have to be serious. Just be like, wow, that's their stuff. Like, that's their poop. Mm -hmm. And being able to just move on, especially now, like, think about the trolling on the internet and the this about this candidate, that candidate, vaccines and not vaccines. Everyone has a different opinion. And we all get so upset about someone else's opinion when that's theirs. And especially if you're focusing on teenagers on social media or how they text each other or whatever it is, I mean, it seems like they're they're going to be running into on, on a daily basis, probably opportunities where they could be carrying someone else's poop around. Oh, my niece called me yesterday. She lives in Pittsburgh. And we literally just talked about this because of a situation she's going through. And the thing about it too, is it started from a youth perspective, but it's now translated to not only, you know, any adult individual, but I have companies now using this as a training program, not program, but a resource. Absolutely. So that they can help their customer service reps who get dumped on all day long, like helping them take care of themselves. Because it is simple, it does. It, it can translate to so many different people, ages, professions, and so on. And it's really easy to remember too, which mm-hmm. I think is helpful, right? It's not complicated in language that people haven't heard before. Right. I'm kind of reminded of the book 
that is made for children who are like learning how to potty train, which is everybody poops. Everybody poops. <laughs> and, it, and, and there's something about those two ideas coming together that I think is true. Like everybody that we meet at some point, myself included, is going to like have some poop that doesn't go where it's supposed to go. Right. And like if we can just recognize and normalize that, then it makes it so much easier to like, yeah. I, I guess, discern mm-hmm. what's what and what to do with it. I like this. To, I like to say you recognize where you end and someone else begins. Mm. And I think that there is some power in that. And if we can start doing more of that in our lives and in our world, we live in a much more peaceful place. Oh, I love that so much. Mm. That's so true. <laughs> One of the things that, let's see, I want to start here. I love, one of the things that I noticed is that you direct people to tune into their bodies in these moments of conflict or potential conflict, right? In these moments where there's some poop about to be transferred Mm -hmm. somewhere. And I've noticed in my coaching work that it's not intuitive for most people in the moment of conflict or uncertainty to like lean into like noticing their bodies and what's going on inside of them. So tell me more about why people should learn to notice what their bodies are communicating in these moments. That's a great question. I feel like when we are in a moment of conflict, the first thing that we want to do is defend. And we're not necessarily mindful and in the moment. Your body is going to tell you first and foremost how you're feeling, right? I like to say that it's either the thought or sometimes people will recognize the emotion first. Mm -hmm. But I like to say you can't have an emotion without a thought. And this is controversial. I always say it this way. Like you don't know that say someone passes, right? You don't feel sad until you know that they've passed, right? Right. You have to have the thought of, I'm going to miss that person or whatever it is. And so um, going back to your question, when we're able to sit and be mindful of how we're feeling, what we're doing is taking our control back. Because in that situation, the only thing that you can control are your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. You can spew at this person all day long. You guys can get into it you're just going to feel worse at the end of the interaction. So by being able to go internal, see what's going on, being mindful, calming yourself down, you're going to be able to approach the situation more calmly. You're going to be more respectful. And when you're those two things, your boundary will hopefully be heard. So it's almost like there needs to like, like, do we need to give ourselves permission to stretch that moment a little bit so that we're not just having to give a response in one second? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think sometimes we have this pressure to like, okay, this is happening. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Mm-hmm. But really, in order to do all of that, that's not going to happen in like 0.2 seconds. Right. You're working from your hot head. You right. know, you're working from your fight or flight when you're reactive. We want to work from your executive functioning. And if you can give yourself three seconds to just chill out, and reconnect to yourself, you're going to be able to handle the situation easier. Plus, again, if you're not going to their level, you, I don't want to say you win, but but you win. you're more in control, <laughs> right? Yeah, you have your power. And we don't teach this. This isn't something that you learn in school that I say in the book, you have a choice in every interaction. In your choices, how are you going to think, feel, and react? Because that is the only thing in your control in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I've i noticed this, especially with teenagers when they have this light bulb moment, when I help them understand like, you can either react, just respond right there in the moment, just react, 
or you can like pause and choose how you want to respond. Mm-hmm. And those are like, there's so like, that's so much more empowering Yes, to feel like you can just sit in that space and do that. And I love the way that you've created this to be so accessible because you're right. We don't like, there's so many skills that we teach kids, right? Like stop, drop and roll, important skill. Yeah. We totally use, use that. it all the time. Turns out I've never caught on fire. <laughs> and so I haven't actually applied that skill super much. Maybe that'll be my next book. Exactly. <laughs> stop, drop and roll for emotions. A hundred percent, right? <laughs> but then we've got these skills where we're interacting with people every day, all day, online, in person, behind a mask, whatever it is. And we don't really, as a culture, like teach how to how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. It's it's 100% true. And you made me think of uh, something I saw on Instagram where it said, you didn't make me feel angry. I chose the emotion of anger to express towards you. And like, as a clinician who teaches this, that blew my mind because it's so true. And when people don't realize like, you have a choice always. Now, I'm not talking about people with something like a severe mental illness where they don't have a choice, but in most situations, you do. You can calm down. You can... I always say this, like, I might say something to you and you'll laugh because it's me, Mm -hmm. but some stranger can say the same exact words and you can get very angry about it because you're choosing one or the other, right? And, And part of that is how I choose to interpret it. Mm-hmm. I like add meaning to everything, you know, and it turns out, which is super annoying to me, but it turns out my crystal ball's broken. So I actually <laughs> don't know what's going to happen. And my mind reading sucks. Mm-hmm. Like I really can't actually know what someone else is thinking. Well, and that's a good point too, because when we set boundaries with people, especially people who care about us, a lot of people are scared to do that, where I will ask them, would you want to do something to someone you care about that they don't want you to do? And they're always going to answer no. Like, I want to know if I'm doing something that's hurtful or making my friend uncomfortable. Okay, then why is that not true for you? And for your friends, you're giving them awareness about what makes you comfortable or uncomfortable. And you're being vulnerable and it's creating a stronger relationship, you know, because their, their crystal ball is broken too. Right. And isn't it so much nicer when it's not a guessing game for everybody? Right. Exactly. When I can just communicate it and say it. I think sometimes we're so worried that we don't want to like alienate or hurt people or I don't know, offend them or make it so they don't want to be our friend. Mm -hmm. And yet instead we're like, hey, let's play a guessing game where you can try and figure out what things hurt my feelings and what things don't. Like that's actually not very fun. Yeah. And it's not very friendly either. Right. You know, intimacy into me, you see, is the way I explain that. And... Tell me more. (laughs) It's into me. So being able to express the things that are hurtful, to be able to express the things that make you uncomfortable, that make you scared, that is what intimacy is. And people always think that intimacy is a sexual thing. Right. It's not. It's a vulnerability. It's a connection that you have with your friends, your family, your spouse, your partner, whoever it is. And so when you can set boundaries and talk about what someone's doing that's hurtful, you're actually creating an intimate, vulnerable relationship, which is only going to make that relationship stronger unless you are dealing with someone who is hurtful and abusive. Someone who's not capable of holding that with the trust that it deserves, really. Right. Someone who's not comfortable with intimacy. That's a whole nother conversation. 
So you've worked with people who have, um, not only with your eating disorder clinic, but specifically I'm thinking about the center and you'll have to tell me the name of it again. Child Help Children's Center. Yes. And in that situation, when people have experienced trauma, do you find that it's more difficult for them in these moments in terms of carrying poop? Or is it is there more that happens through that process? Or have you found that this is really effective for them as well, even if they have sort of these other like layers of meaning to experiences? You know, that really depends on how quickly things how quickly uh, the trauma or the abuse was intervened. So like mm, meaning how quickly someone helped them. Uh, I worked with some teens that had unfortunately had not just layer one uh, family of origin, but layer two adopted family mm-hmm. abuse. And so those cases are a lot harder because now we don't trust anybody. However, simplifying the message is still something that they can adhere to because I'm saying, look, it's very clean. It's very clear. This is how you recognize when, you know, someone else is projecting onto you. Think about it with mom. Think about it with adopted mom. Like when were they projecting onto you? So you can use those situations as examples to teach them, but also use the simplicity of the message. But again, it's it's such a, there's a spectrum there of, like you said, layers you know, it's it's harder the more layers that we have. But that's not to say that. I mean, there's some brilliant minds. Some of the most successful people in the world have experienced severe trauma and use that to be powerful. Um, I wish I remember the statistic I was watching. <laughs> I was watching True Crime on MTV. Perfect. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and they were talking about that like 80s, 80- I don't remember the statistics, I won't quote it, but they were just talking about the percentage of people who have gone through severe trauma, how successful those who do choose to to go on, whether it's entrepreneurship path or whatever it is, how more successful they are because they have this like school of hard knocks type of education and they tend to just be more successful. So I, I, I say that because you have those people who have gone through hell and back and, you know, they can adhere to this message or they can promote this message. So I don't have a direct answer to that. No, well, and and that makes sense because it is so complicated and everybody's going to be different. But as you were talking, I was thinking about how much of a relief it would be, I would think, for someone who's experienced trauma, which has made their life so complicated, so layered, so nuanced, to have something that's so clear. Mm-hmm. Here is a rule of thumb. Here is a life skill that I'm going to give you like the fast pass to, right. to be able to interpret and respond and like take back some power here. Mm-hmm. Like I can see how that would be so empowering for someone whose life has been anything but straightforward. Right. And if you think about, especially with the kids that I worked with, a lot of them were exposed to the exact opposite of what we're teaching here. Mm-hmm. And so being able to validate and being able to, like you said, simplify it is is huge for them and say, look, it's okay to be in control of yourself. That's okay. I know that you've never witnessed that in another person, but I'm giving you permission, if you will, to take back control of you and who you are. You know, with my older kids, like, again, this is where a lot of this came out of because even in the eating disorder program, a lot of eating disorders stem from trauma. Mm-hmm giving them their voice 
is such an amazing thing to witness and making it easy for them and, and simple for them to achieve that is even better. Right. Because I think for so many of them, it's coming from a place of they didn't have power. Mm -hmm. They didn't have any power in the circumstances that they're in because by nature, children don't have power in the family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have adults in their life that are purposefully handing them poop, mm -hmm. right? They're mm -hmm. like, here, I don't want this. You carry it for mm -hmm. me. All of a sudden, it it is... I, I guess the main phrase I'm coming back to is empowering. It's finally giving them a chance to step forward in a very concrete way. Well, if you think about that too, if we take that to this book to another level, tr the trauma, whether so is sexual abuse, that's someone else's poop. Right. Right. So think about it that way. And helping a child understand like, this is not yours. It's not yours. You are not responsible even though you got poop on you. Correct. It's not your poop. It's not yours. And so we can take this message in so many ways to help them understand because we know they have that guilt, shame, everything that comes with abuse and trauma that something about them, they were defective when we know that's not true. And so being able to take the message in that direction, as well as, as you're saying, help them, give them the power back, give them their voice back and teach them how to use that for the rest of their lives. This was a blip in your life. This is how you move forward and you stay within your power. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I will say when I first heard the title of the book before I'd had, had a chance to look at it, my mind immediately went to childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh yeah. And then I read it and I was like, oh wait, this is like a universal message mm -hmm. that actually applies and is helpful to everybody. But I love how we just like connected those two thoughts, my like assumption, which was obviously not on target and <laughs> the message, but how truly this is like a transcendent kind of visual mm -hmm. and how important it is, whether it's something as simple as someone saying, I don't like your hair, it looks stupid. Mm -hmm. Or something far more significant that someone is doing by handing us some of their poop. Mm -hmm. It's all poop. It is. It's so true. Just on a second note, my in the queue of books is is focused on trauma. It's going to be called "You're Not What They Call You." Ooh, yes, I love that. Yes. Hopefully, we won't have another pandemic, so that way you have time to write. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have given myself time to write now. So it's it's pretty exciting. Uh, the next version of this is actually for an illustrated version for kids. Oh, I love that. It's called Don't Hold Their Boogies. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. So I mentioned that I read the Kindle version of your book and I noticed that it gave me a link to go over to a workbook that that's included as part of the work. Mm -hmm. So I wondered, why did you feel like it's important to include a workbook component to your content? So I wanted it to be interactive. I want to be using all the senses we can possibly use other than like scratch and sniff poop because that you. might not go Thank you. Well. You're I, welcome. I do appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and so just having an a area for people to work out because there's activities, right? So all of the lessons that are learned in the book, the flush, the gut check, they're all things that people can go to a past situation or maybe something that they're dealing with now they can work through it in that moment and take with them the things that they've learned. Because again, this is about a message. This is about learning something. And so being able to actually like tactile it, write it out and, you know, work through it. That is something that I, I wanted to make sure that the reader gets on top of the message so that, you know, they, the, the workbook too. So the book itself is, uh, doubles as the workbook. 
But then also I have additional sheets online because I want people to consistently be working through the the two lessons. And so I just think that it's nice to have, you know, you have the you have the written and then you get to actually do the work yourself so that it just is solidified in your head and you feel like you can move forward however you decide by working through it. I really love because I can picture that as a situation comes up, say something happens and someone has a moment where they go, wait a second, I think this might be like some poop going on here. Mm -hmm. And they can pull out the workbook and it's almost like they're able to work through the problem with you because they've got the workbook and they can start to like piece out, here are the individual components and here's what we're going to do with them. Mm -hmm. I have a, a car dealership group that has the book and they worked through the Stop the Spread portion of it mm-hmm. in their management meeting the other day. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> because, you know, the, the environment, whatever it is that they were working on, that's what they decided that it was necessary to work through that. And it's, you know, it's just, you're right. It's it's working through it. It's it's having an extension of my brain. And being I mean, able really, to, it is. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And it's simple. The, I think the longest, I think the one uh, sheet has six questions that you work through. So it's not like you're doing this, you know, full blown. It's not like a two hour commitment yeah. here that Therapy people dump. are doing. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And just again, making it simple. I mean, the, the notepad in the book is a roll of toilet paper. Oh my so, gosh. Stop it. That's amazing. No, I physical. haven't seen it yet. I'm so excited. So <laughs> one of the things that I loved about what you just shared, because I can kind of picture this being a great resource, not only for like this organization. So like for companies or groups of people, but also for whole families mm-hmm. to have these conversations. Like it gives... I think a really great way for families to be able to like start having conversations and break it down and then be able to help remind each other and reinforce it to one another. Mm-hmm. Like I can see how this would be a really great resource for a family to have this book and to use it as a workbook and to start having some language to talk mm-hmm. about some of these things, especially, I mean, really at every age, literally at every age, as small as you are, you understand what poop is. <laughs> And that it's yucky, it <laughs> and you and you really don't want it. Someone else's poop for sure, right? <laughs> and that your poop belongs in the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, we've got like this context that is universally understood by very young children, mm-hmm. but then you get especially. So, I have a daughter who just turned thirteen, and boy, once you become a teenager, they start encountering a lot more poop in their life mm-hmm. because everyone is trying to figure themselves out, right? Yeah, so absolutely. the poop is free flying sometimes. <laughs> No, it's funny you bring that up because my friend has a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old and I have traveled with them. And the nine-year-old, well, she was nine at the time, picked up the book, read the book. The the 13-year-old read it and they use it in their family. And the, the youngest one actually uses it the most and she uses it in the right context. And it's been great for her because she has some struggles with, she has some learning and she was like IOP and things like that. So she was able to read it and conceptualize it and put it into practice. And it's beautiful. Now, her mom, her dad, and her brother hate it. But <laughs> she's Why are we talking about people yeah. all the time? No, because she just keeps checking them when oh, they're, I love when they're that. being inappropriate. And she is using it in the correct way. And so you're right. And now it's a part of their dialogue and their family. 
And it can become a part of the family culture. Mm -hmm. And here's something that I've noticed. So I have three kids all together. And sometimes the most oddball things or the goofiest way of saying it is what sticks. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's like the family joke that nobody else... You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so to me, if we're looking at a family resource, Mm -hmm. a book called Don't Hold Their Poop Mm -hmm. is like going to be for sure easy to remember. And kids will love incorporating that into into the family conversation. My goal with this book eventually is to have um, a series where we go into don't hold their poop as parents, Mm -hmm. don't hold their poop as newlyweds, don't hold their poop as teenagers and making it more specific to each as well. But the book right now in general, I mean, again, it's, it's, that's the reason I wrote it in such a simplified way because I want it to be easy for anybody to understand and put into practice. And whether you're 10 or you're you know, 90 years old, you can use this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that idea though of giving, because there are some unique um, situations that probably come up between newlyweds. And I know for sure as a mom, there are some things that I tend to be more willing to hold my kids poop than I would ever hold anyone else's poop. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely see how some like focused insight in those areas would be really cool. Yeah. I was even thinking like dating, Mm -hmm. about all the nonsense that happens there for social media. So we'll get there. Right. Because we're in this world. Okay. So we talked at the beginning about how you have all these different puzzle pieces that have brought you to where you are today Mm -hmm. and the work that you're doing today. Because if I remember correctly, you are no longer working with the Child Help Center. Did I say that right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit more about what you're doing currently professionally in the field of mental health or mental wellness. Mm -hmm. So after working with Child Help, I I was pretty burnt out. I wasn't taking care of myself. And so I had to do my own self-discovery and take a little break. And I was thankful enough to fall back on a marketing career that I did for about six years. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, just, it was simple going back to the concept. However, during that time, I was like, you know, I'm a helper. This is who I am. How can I create a program or a career that I can fulfill that need to help? But on my terms. And just a little bit of background. I have always been in the fitness industry. I've been teaching classes. I was a college cheerleader. I've been dancing. I've danced since I was three. So it's always something that's been important to me, not only from a physical aspect, but a mental health aspect too. And so about three years ago, I started to just learn more about that. Again, I'd already been teaching classes and being a coach and things like that. And so I decided to become a certified personal trainer simply because I had all the knowledge, but I feel like I was a fraud if I didn't have the credentials. Exactly. And so um, around the same time, I began my coaching uh, programs. And it started as dating coaching, which has now evolved into relationship and premarital coaching. And so that's one program, uh, which is called Ignite Ambition Coaching. And that's just more, again, focused on relationships. But because I have this love for fitness, as well as this specialty in body image and eating disorders, emotional eating, binge eating behaviors, I thought, you know, there's a lot of people out there in the world who are promoting health 
in, in regards to weight loss and fitness, but we're not taking care of the mind. Right. And my motto for the program called The Mindset of Matter is what you see in your, what you say in your mind, you see in the mirror. And I believe that 100%. And I work with women. I feel like I want you to say that one more time. What you say in your mind, you see in the mirror. Okay, tell me, tell me a little more about that before you keep going. Okay, so when we, and I can attest to this, when we have low self-worth, as women specifically, we tend to look at ourselves and what we are not, right? What we, you know, we're not a certain size or a certain, you know, weight on the scale. We don't look a certain way. It's, we're looking to this external thing to make us feel better, to make mm-hmm. us love ourselves again. Where what we don't realize is, is that we have to take care of our brains. And what does that come from? Why do we feel that way? What are the situations that trigger it? And then how can we start reframing those thoughts in a way that is more compassionate, that is more, you know, just in line with whatever our goals are? Because if we're looking to be a certain size or a certain weight, we're saying that, you know, something needs to change. But I've seen so many times women hit that goal and they're still not happy. Correct. Because what you say in your mind, you see in the mirror. So if I hate myself, even out size two, and size whatever, I'm never going to accept myself as I am. So the mindset of matter includes mindset coaching, where we're looking at the whys. We're looking at what takes you to that place where you feel so low. Why do you feel that your appearance is where your happiness comes from? Because at the end of the day, like I said, I've seen people reach their goals and still feel terrible. Absolutely. It's... It's so interesting because it's like an outside-in approach mm-hmm. that when 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 everything externally is where I think it ought to be, whether that's my physical appearance or my profession or whatever it is, whenever everything outside, then, then I'll feel good inside. Mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of um, a really n- normal way that a lot of people like approach or think oh, yeah. about it. But then, you know, sometimes it's been really amazing to me to meet people who... I think are incredibly beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. people objectively. I mean, they're beautiful because of who they are, but they're objectively beautiful too. Mm-hmm. And they just think, oh, ugh. Oh, yeah. And I think, oh my goodness, this has absolutely nothing to do with how your body looks. Yep. And that's true for every single one of us, that that like our own view of ourself, it isn't really about the outside in because if we do that, then we're just like, I don't know. I just think, imagine doing that. Imagine getting all the things, checking all the boxes for what you pre-thought in your head was going to make you happy and then you're not happy. Right. Like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And it happens more times than not. That's why the diet industry and diet culture is what it is because it's, nobody's tapping into that. They're saying, no, this is what, if you do this external thing, you'll be happy. Then someone gets there. They don't feel the happiness. Then they go back into their negative thinking patterns and they yo-yo, right? They gain all the way back. They feel shame. They feel terrible. And then they try it again. And we do it over and over again. And that's why it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Now, a part of what I do is health-related, but it's a lifestyle change. I don't do these 1,200-calorie type of deficits. I teach people how to eat well, how to sustain 
their eating patterns so that they can have nutrient-dense foods, but also go out and have the pizza and know that they're giving their body what they need. Um, I do fitness. So I'm a part of that industry technically, but then I take it to the next level and I'm making long-term change in their mindset of their bodies, their food, their relationship with both, their relationship with themselves. And my goal with the Mindset of Matter is that you'll never need another coach again because you've been taught everything that you need in regards to like science, you know, the physiological, uh, the energy and energy out, all of that. But also we've cleaned out the things that stood in your way. Now, keep in mind, I'm not practicing as a clinician in that setting. I'm practicing as a coach. So if I did have a client who did need a higher level of care, I would refer out for that yeah, as well. I love that. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting as I look at kind of like this whole realm of bodies, I feel like it's such it's such an interesting, layered, nuanced, shame-filled, messy pot of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like the space that you're stepping into is a space where there hasn't been a lot of people stepping into that area where we can both learn how to care for our bodies, but also learn that our bodies are pretty fantastic as they sit right now. Right. Because both are true. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's about that. It's about recognizing your body as a machine too. It's not this aesthetic thing. You know, it is a machine and it is so smart. It is so smart. And it will adapt to what you are giving or not giving to it. And when you can actually recognize that and know like, wow, if I eat under my basal metabolic rate, which mine is 1500 calories, if I eat underneath that, which every diet out there will tell me to, mm-hmm. my sleep will be off. My hormones will be off. My energy levels be, will be off. So because those three things, I'll want to grab carbohydrates because that's what's going to give me energy. And now I'm stuffing my face with all this food that I don't necessarily need to be eating. I'm eating over my hunger and fullness cues, right? I'm just off. I'm out of homeostasis. Which is, and, which is so interesting because mm-hmm. for a long time, I think particularly, so I'm a kid from the 80s. Mm-hmm. So like the like 80s and 90s time frame was a big time of like, it's just math. Mm-hmm. You just eat less, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you just do that math, but it sounds like there's a lot more to it than yeah. just eat less, move more, done. Yeah. There is a, you know, being in a calorie deficit is how you lose weight. That's true. However, there's a certain threshold that you need to stay out of because you go underneath your BMR for X amount of time. Your body being as smart as it is, is saying, I'm not getting enough to just be at baseline. I'm not getting it. So I'm going to slow down burning it. And that's where we see metabolic adaptation, which is metabolism slowing down. Totally. Which like as an as a nurse, I'm thinking your body has to do a lot of things every day. Mm-hmm. It's making new cells, like your organs are functioning. There's so much that's going mm-hmm. on and functioning within the human body. Right. It needs nutrition and energy mm-hmm. in order to accomplish all of that. Yeah. 60% of your calories burned is through your at rest and your body functioning. 60%. Wow. 20% non-exercise activity, walking, gardening, taking the stairs, going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Poop. Ten percent from exercise, ten percent from a from digest, digestion of food. Wow! Like if you break it down like that, people think, "Oh, I'll just out exercise this thing that I had." It's not a thing, right? 
but people will tell you it is. Um, but you had mentioned something that I wanted to touch on too, being that this is about like whole health and business. Another thing that I run into is not just the negative body image mindset. It's this idea that we can't take care of ourselves when we are leaders. We have to put work first. We have to put family first. We have to put all these other things first. So a lot of what we do in the mindset of matter too is just stress management, time management, mm-hmm. Creating an environment that's what I say simple and convenient in regards to your goals, and then building from that foundation rather than saying, Here, eat this meal plan, do this, this. You know, I create a custom program based on your availability, what your schedule looks like, and so on, and help you learn. Like, putting yourself first is why we say, Put the oxygen mask on yourself before anyone else. Yes. It's a hierarchy of care. And if you take care of yourself, then if you're you know, married, you take care of your couple. If you have kids, you take care of yourselves as parents, then your children, that is the correct hierarchy. And so that's another part of what I do in, in regards to the program. Which I think um, I'd be interested to hear. Um, it seems like women in particular would struggle with that, mm-hmm. um, that that is like an added layer to a challenge of being a woman in a leadership position is feeling that that if you don't have that proper mindset in place, it would be very easy for you to almost shoot yourself in the foot because you're not taking care of or having good boundaries for what keeps you running optimally as a leader to continue to be in that role long term. Uh, The majority of my clients are women. I work with women all over the world and they are in the most coolest jobs. However, what sounds cool on paper actually is just sucking the life out of them, you know? (laughs) And it's this kind of, I'm a woman in this position. I have to maintain this position because if I don't, some male is going to come take it from me. And so they'll outwork their male counterparts, you know, tenfold because they're afraid of losing their position as well. And so obviously when that happens, their self-care is the first thing to go. Then their moms and wives at the same time and they tend to also be the leaders of the PTA and the this and the that and the other thing. And when they come to me, I'm like, okay, let's figure out how to, how to take care of you for a little bit. And so what do these clients find out Like, as you're working with these really successful, high-level women? Mm-hmm. What do they notice as they begin to make that shift to actually prioritizing self-care? So one of the things I like to start with um, not with everyone, but is just a check-in it, twice a day. So taking five minutes to just see how you're feeling. And I use the HALT method, which comes from AA. Um, are you hungry? Are you angry or emotional? Are you lonely and need support? Are you tired? Are you? And then I add the S, sick or in pain. What do you need right now? And taking whatever time that is to fulfill that. And taking five minutes each day I'm telling you, these women are like, it is the smallest little change I've made that has made the most impact on my life. Because what I'm not doing is letting my stress compound throughout the day. So then when I go home, I'm short with my kids or my husband. Or I go home and I go into the pantry and I emotionally eat, which is a big one. Or I go home and I, you know, freak out. I don't know, like they, or go to sleep. Some people just sleep it off, you know? And so, they find that 
when I make these just little small changes, they see the big, bigger change. And so now we've created that foundation, we can build on it. We do things like understanding their thought patterns and journaling and helping them recognize what are their triggers, how to get in front of their triggers. And what does that look like in regards to their particular schedules too? You know, if I can go, I know that after my one o'clock meeting, I'm always stressed out at at 2 p.m. I'm going to schedule 15 minutes to go outside and walk, right? I have maybe that 15 minutes to go do something for myself that is good for my health. It's good for me. I enjoy it. It gives me that it, it triggers that pleasure center in my brain that maybe food might do or alcohol or whatever it is. And I'm able to fit that into my schedule. And so they just learn how to build that foundation and then uh, create whatever is convenient and simple for their lives. And they recognize like, I can do this. I can make this. I can put myself first and not feel selfish, to not feel shameful. And to know that when I do that, Everyone else around me is happier. I literally had this conversation with a client this morning. She has done so many changes in her life. She's gotten rid of some vices that were not good for her, that her kids were recognizing that were making her unapproachable to her children. She's she's rid herself of them and replaced them with just healthier options. And she said today, everybody in my ha- in my family is happier because I am finally happier. Yes. And it's amazing. Yes. And so many times we think we're making this noble sacrifice for the people that rely on us professionally, for our family members. But the reality is when they are getting like a depleted, um, stressed out, overwhelmed version of ourselves, then that's actually not serving them either. Right. And so as we, you know, can do that, one of the things as you were um, talking, I was thinking about how I actually totally just lost my train of thought, so that's okay. (laughs) One of the things that I think is really cool that you are doing, because we were talking about the wins that people get as they go through and work on this. I I just really love it. I think it's such an important thing as we focus on our on our mindset, I think people underestimate how important it is. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I don't know if part of it is because it's not really, um, I can't really keep track of it. Like I can't stand on measure the mindset it. Scale. Exactly. I can't, you know, mm-hmm. objectively see what's different. And yet it seems like it's one of the most transformative things people can do is to address their mindset. Absolutely. And it translates in so many ways. Being able to gain control of your insecurities begin to to have compassion and grace for yourself. I mean, it just can translate into so many areas of your life, right? Whether that's with your children, with your spouse, with your career, but it all starts with you. And once you can recognize that, it goes back to what we're saying about the book. It's about taking your power back. All of this is all around. It's all, it's all big. One it's big umbrella. Connected. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> one big self care umbrella. So, and it all comes back to recognizing what is me, what is you, mm-hmm. and being able to own both of those things. I, I I guess to own what's mine and to recognize what's yours. Mm-hmm. And and I remember what I was going to say. It's kind of amazing how such a major change for people in their quality of life and in their like lived experience can literally start with five minutes twice a day. Yep. And I don't care who you are or how busy you are. We all have five minutes twice a day. Oh, yeah. 
to be able to tune into that. I will literally tell moms, I know you take your phone in the toilet, in the bathroom to scroll on social media. Instead of doing that, I want you to take that five minutes and check in with yourself. And they laugh because they're like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. (laughs) And just finding the time and knowing that it's okay. Like it is more than okay. It's It's actually, yeah. Yeah. And even like the word that comes to me is like choosing it. I'm going to choose five minutes Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. And actually notice what the heck's going on with my body. Right. Instead of expecting it to be silent, you know, I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. We we think that it's just going to go away. It's not. I'm going to tell you, it will come to you in several different ways, whether that's through your emotions. Um, some people experience physiological responses, mm-hmm. things like um, aches, pains, stomach issues. The, I mean, we can go into other areas like people with PTSD, for example, can have diabetes. They can have erectile dysfunction. There's a lot of things that come from emotional stress, how they translate to the actual body. Now, obviously, again, not practicing as a clinician in this setting, but our bodies will tell us and it'll let us know, like, all right, it's time to talk about that thing. <laughs> and it's and it's so, like, it never ceases to amaze me how once we can sort of let go of the things that aren't ours mm-hmm. and step into some of these mindset things that you're talking about, how much better we feel not only emotionally and mentally, but physically as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, it's all connected. It really is. It really is. And that's why, that's why I'm focusing on all three. I love it. I love how you've taken all these pieces and all of this background and created something that, I mean, it just resonates for you that this is, that that you're kind of sitting in your passion. Does that feel true to you? No, 100%. Yeah. I love that. I love every minute of it. And like I had mentioned, it is within my boundaries as well. And I keep saying I'm not practicing as a clinician because I realize that I can take parts of that into coaching and leave parts of it that were a little too heavy for me Mm -hmm. in the clinical side and let the people who have the capacity to do that work, do that work. It's beautiful. And I know where my, where I end and they begin. Well, and, you know, there, there there's the saying that it takes a village to raise a child, but I also think it's true that it takes a village of people and resources sometimes in order to create that mental wellness that we're looking mm-hmm. for. So Absolutely. I totally love that idea. Um, okay. Before we close, I'd like to know how can your listeners get in touch with you because you have some pretty fantastic things to offer. So how can they get connected with you and find your book? So for the book, uh, the website is that'snotmypoop.com. If you are local in the Valley and or um, in the US, I'd love for you to check it out there. You can also check it out on Amazon if you do choose. You will not get a signed copy though, unless you go to okay. the website. Uh, you can also find us at That's Not My Poop on Instagram. Uh, in regards to the Mindset of Matter program, the uh, website is mindsetofmatter.com. And the Instagram is Fit Mrs. Hathaway. That's me. I love that. <laughs> and then last but not least, Ignite Ambition Life Coaching. The website is igniteambition.com and Instagram at Ignite Ambition Life Coaching. Okay. Thank you. I love Thank all of that. So Before we close, is there anything else you would like to say or share that you haven't had a chance to yet? I think that, you know, 
with everything going on, and we'd already touched on it, you know, there's been so much turmoil in this world. So many people have so much to say to each other. And it's really just created this negativity that's really unnecessary. And being able to, again, recognize where you end and someone else begins, taking your own power, taking responsibility for yourself and recognizing that you are you because of your history, your values, your morals, your family, your life story. And that other person is them and they have their opinion because of those things as well. And when we can recognize that, I honestly think that we can live in a much more harmonious world and just live in a more peaceful place. And again, not everyone's going to do that, but at least for you individually, being able to see like, I'm in charge of me and I'm in charge of how I think and feel, I'm going to be able to just feel more at peace and just live to, live a better life. So thank you. That makes me feel so hopeful because really that is so possible for all of us to step into as a community and as a culture. I yeah, love absolutely. it. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank Christina for joining us today and thank you Listeners, for joining us on Mind Well, the podcast that introduces you to exceptional individuals that are developing powerful, mindful connections. Thank you for listening to another episode of Mind Well. We are sponsored by Trauma Integration LLC, a company passionate about helping people understand their trauma response and find wholeness within. You can find out more at www.integratetrauma.com dot com.